Buddhist Geeks, exploring the convergence of Buddhism, technology, and culture. What happens when you combine a thousands-year-old contemplative tradition with exponentially changing technology and an increasingly global and interconnected world? Since 2007, Buddhist Geeks has been striving to come up with answers to this question, and we've only just begun. Over the years, we've recorded hundreds of talks and conversations on the development of Buddhism in the 21st century. These recordings, in the form of our weekly podcast, are downloaded over a million times each year, accounting for several million total downloads. If you've been positively impacted by Buddhist Geeks, we ask that you consider becoming a monthly micro-patron. As little as $2 a month helps us reach important milestones related to the production of the weekly podcast, from scheduling guests to crafting thoughtful questions to recording, editing, and publishing the finished episode. Your support enables us to take the time we need to create something worth listening to. Being a patron is about supporting those things that are most important to you, that you feel have the potential to change the world for the better. Come put your money where your heart is. Patreon.com slash BuddhistGeeks. everybody. Um, I'm really excited to be here and also because of the altitude and all of my body doesn't know what's going on. So if I start levitating, then you'll all get to witness it and Charles Tart will be completely vindicated and that will be like the biggest success story of the entire conference. So these are the people who are the fuel for my spiritual fire. I can't begin speaking without thinking of them and feeling their presence. Um, some of these people are young, some are older, some are still in their body, some are not. Um, quite a few of these people are completely against psychedelics, so don't look at any of these faces and assume that they agree with anything I'm about to say. I like to be pretty transparent about what I'm about to say. I think science is great. I think psychedelics are mostly great, so I'm totally biased. And no one's paying me at the moment, so no one can really tell me what to say. And I'm going to try to be as careful as I can about what comes out of my mouth. Okay, so before we get into the psychedelics, once upon a time in a land far, far away, I hiked around Mount Manaslu, Spirit Mountain. And you can see Peace in Heaven Hotel Lodge is right next door. There are Buddhist flags. This is in the Himalayas of Nepal. Uh, it was a totally amazing, life-changing experience. I visited sacred sites. This was Milarepa's cave where he had allegedly attained enlightenment, eating nettle soup and not much else. We saw completely magical beings. This is an actual creature. She exists in Nepal. You wouldn't even believe it if you weren't there to see it. We crossed many bridges together, the group that I traveled with, through portals and across thresholds. We found enchanted mountains, and we encountered just a few rainbows. At some point, I got really high and the world kind of flipped upside down on me. I transcended time and space and got a new perspective. And at some point, pretty close to the top of the mountain, I'm pretty sure I encountered God, but I can't really tell you what she looked like. And then, of course, 
coming down was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I thought I was going to die, and then I didn't. So I was really happy to be alive at the end of all of it. And that's me, joyful, peaceful, at home in my body, glowing. So it was totally psychedelic. And what I'll try to kind of show for you today is that psychedelic experience is a lot different than you might think. And I'm sure there are some of you in the audience who are kind of sitting in this elite group of, I've taken all the psychedelic drugs and heroic doses, and I think I'm this like alien god shaman. Congratulations. You probably are. I'd like to talk to you afterward because there's some messages that I'd like to get back up to the mothership. Um, seriously. Uh, <laughs> then there are probably a lot of you who maybe have dabbled a little bit, have a little bit of experience, maybe have some friends who've tried psychedelics. And that's probably the majority of people here. 80% of Americans have never taken a psychedelic before. And then there are probably some really staunch religious Buddhists and other kind of very serious purists in the audience who never would ever take a psychedelic, and that's fine. There are lots of other things you can do, but if you ever find yourself on your deathbed and are kind of wondering, like, you can still try it, even on your deathbed, and I hope that we can have that future at some point. So you can wait. So at Hopkins, at Johns Hopkins University, we've been experimenting with giving people high doses of psilocybin, which is the chemical found naturally in some mushrooms. And as it turns out, when people hang out in this really nice little living room setting with a few kind of religious icons and a comfy couch and some beautiful art, classical music, and two really amazing human beings sitting with them holding their hand, they have a really profound experience. And it happens over and over and over again. It's very repeatable. Now, this setting here looks pretty kind of modern and normal and non-religious, but the original setting was, this is Gordon Wasson taking mushrooms with Maria Sabina, who is a curandero in Mexico. Uh, the Good Friday experiment was done in Marsh Chapel at, in Boston, Cambridge, by Walter Penke and colleagues. And over and over and over again, psilocybin seems to elicit sacred, holy experiences. And that's what we've been trying to study at Hopkins. This is all you need to remember about all of the Hopkins program, and there are tons of papers. If you Google psilocybin Hopkins, lots of things will come up. 60 to 70% of our healthy volunteers have a full-blown mystical experience. There's not enough time to explain what a mystical experience is. We don't even have a clue, honestly. We try to measure it. Um, it's, it's unmeasurable, but you kind of know it when you, when you see it and when you experience it. Uh, most people coming out of the experience say it was the top five or single most important life experience they've ever had, right up there with the death of a sibling or parent or the birth of their first child. And what's even better for the kind of sake of humanity is you don't have to keep taking psilocybin, so people have long-term positive changes in all sorts of life dimensions well beyond the time that they've taken the drug. So up to 14 months later, people are still reporting that their lives are enhanced because of their experience. The work that I focused on at Hopkins was looking at changes in personality, oh, okay. and openness is a dimension of personality related to creativity and problem solving and really thinking outside the box. And anyone who's kind of taken a psychedelic will probably say, like, yeah, my mind opened up. And this was the first study to show that openness measured by the standard psychology measure, the NEO-PI, it increased after a single high dose of psilocybin, and it stayed high in people who had a mystical experience. What you can see here is this is the mystical experience score, and this is openness change. And so this person up here won the jackpot.
they got the same amount of psilocybin as everybody else, the same preparation, the same guiding integration, and they basically got the highest mystical score and the most increase in openness. Now, why does that matter for those of you who are maybe a little bit skeptical? Openness, I feel like, can change the world. Most of the things that we don't do in this world are because of fear or because of habits and traditions and things that we're just really not sure, what if we try something new, what's gonna happen? Um, increasing openness, even just a little bit, I feel like helps people kind of say, oh, there are lots of possibilities. Why not, rather than why? And research kind of backs this up. This isn't just my opinion. Uh, openness is correlated with inspiration, which predicts number of inventions and patents that people have. Um, intellectual curiosity is a dimension of openness, and that plus effort is just as good as IQ when it comes to school achievement. So it's kind of like leveling the playing field. And a study in Australia showed that people who actually increased in openness steadily over time, which is actually the opposite of the trend, normally you kind of decrease slowly, those people uh, reported life satisfaction levels that were equivalent to gaining another $60,000 in annual income. Uh, I feel like openness, we don't have the data yet. There's some animal studies showing growth of new neurons and new synapses in rats who have been shocked and depressed into helplessness and then given a psychedelic. Uh, we don't have the human studies yet, but I think that openness is going to be key in this understanding of neuroplasticity in adults. It's not just psychologically you have a big experience and you decide to change. It's that your actual, your brain is kind of mimicking the state that you used to be in when you were a child, when things were really possible and you're making all these new connections. And finally, in terms of healing, there's a study that's going to be coming out, a follow-up to some of the work that MAPS, a nonprofit organization, has been doing with MDMA that a long-term follow-up of people who uh, were given MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder, four years later, openness was still higher than baseline and it correlated with improvements in PTSD symptoms. So it's not just psilocybin. Uh, the, if you hear a kind of press about MDMA, ecstasy, it's an actual medicine, it really works. Um, I'm gonna get a little political here. There are people coming back from these crazy wars that we've been waging in the Middle East and a lot of those people are having major reintegration problems. 22 combat vets a day are killing themselves. It is, a, it is a huge tragedy, and we're asking these people to risk their lives for something that we're not even sure about. And even though I'm not the one sending them over there, I think as a nation we have to welcome them back and figure out how to bring them back into healthy lives. And MDMA is probably part of the key to doing that. And so if you hear any of that stuff, kind of learn more about it and really ask yourself what your own fears are about why certain med medicines shouldn't be given to people. Okay, so we also studied beginning meditators with psilocybin. I talked about this a little bit last night. Um, the bottom line is I saw people experience things on psilocybin that I have talked to long-term meditators and they don't describe anything close to that in terms of their experience of being in the present moment. Um, Psilocybin isn't kind of a magic meditation pill. It's, it doesn't give you enlightenment, but I feel like it kind of gives you a glimpse of the territory and an understanding in your body of what it means to be present and the real depth of that, the spaciousness of it, the loving awareness of being in the present moment. And I saw it over and over and over again. So part of you is just kind of believing me that I'm not just making this up. I saw it every single day that I showed up to work for four years at Hopkins. I know there's a lot of critique and debate about psychedelics and Buddhism. There's not enough time to cover any of that. Um, I would encourage you to go back and read. There's an awesome tricycle 
article, a roundtable discussion with some of the kind of really heavy hitters in Zen, um, people who themselves have had lots of experience with psychedelics and Buddhism. They have lots of important things to say about it. But remember, it's just their opinion, man. So ask yourself how you feel. Um, I'm not kind of proposing that you all go out and try mushrooms. They're Schedule One drugs. It's illegal to do so. So just remember that. But even if a teacher tells you Buddhism doesn't allow for this, um, it's dangerous, what if you lose your common stability, it doesn't really matter what they say. You can ask yourself. And Jack Cornfield has always been a big proponent of this. I spoke to him a couple years ago, and he was still a proponent. Um, I would like to talk to him again and just make sure that that opinion hasn't changed. But he really feels like psychedelic medicine could be the next big shift in consciousness combined with meditation. And my good old favorite, Ram Dass, remember, be here now. I think that sums it up. And I feel like psilocybin helps people to remember to be here now. And I would only make one little change. Instead of be here now, being here now. It's a verb. It's changing. It's fluid. Psychedelics kind of remind us of that fluidity. It's not just something that happens once. It's constantly moving and changing and happening. Okay, so there's also the shadow side of psychedelics and the shadow side of our minds and our human experience. And... None of us are getting out of this alive. I don't know if that's occurred to any of you. <laughs> We're all going to die. We don't know when. And it's amazing what happens when people kind of get to the end and there's sometimes this piece of letting go, which is awesome. Other times there's kind of this freak out of like, oh my God, all the things I didn't do, what's coming next? I'm going to be alone. What if I'm in pain? Fear, 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 fear. I personally believe that if you've had a psychedelic experience before you get to that end state, it can help ease the end state. Um, we don't really have a ton of research on this. Thousands of people were given psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD for terminal illness and existential fear around death. Most of that data wasn't kind of collected in the right way, so we can't totally rely on it. But many people have experienced this anecdotally. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jill Bolte-Taylor, had this amazing TED Talk. I think it's been seen more than any other TED Talk. And her description of her stroke, it's a stroke of insight. Um, Ram Dass kind of had the same thing. You know, he had taken every single psychedelic known to man at the time that he was young. He had every experience you could possibly tack on to, you know, what's required for enlightenment. And he basically said when he had his stroke, when he was close to death, he was wholly unprepared. So if someone like Ramdas can say, I had no idea what I was doing, like, I mean, the rest of us, I feel like maybe we should take that really seriously. And you might be surprised. You know, your death is your own death. Your life is your own life. So use yourself as a teacher and ask, what would I want when I'm dying, when I'm afraid, when I'm in pain? And meditation may help you a lot with that. I think it, I think it should. Um, but maybe there's some other tools out there, and psychedelics, I think, are a great one. At least at Hopkins, 30% of our volunteers felt like they experienced their own death. And now they're kind of getting to live again with that understanding of death is not an end. Um, if you don't really believe what I'm saying, there are a lot of other people who've kind of pointed to this path through fear. Uh, Buddhist people awesome sci-fi people like Frank Herbert, you know, the Dune series. It turns out he was a mycophile. He was really into mushrooms. I don't think it's a coincidence. 
And then finally, David Foster Wallace, one of my favorite authors, said, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. Um, it's funny, except he killed himself. And he never quite got past the organic major depression. It's a disease. Uh, it destroys people's lives. We're all too familiar with the kind of celebrity stories, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robin Williams. Um, there are so many people who are unseen, unheard, suffering from this disease. I hope that psilocybin might be one of the new tools for major depression. People who've been struggling forever and therapy isn't enough and medications aren't enough. There's a new study in London that's about to get started with psilocybin for people with depression. It may not work, but I think at least we can try. Okay, so bottom line. Are psychedelics medicine or are they sugar? You know, I was kind of making this Mary Poppins joke at the beginning of my title, a spoonful of sugar helps the meditation go down. I think they're both and neither. Um, it's really what you bring to it. I have Ganesha up here, a major Hindu deity, remover of obstacles, hangs out in charnel grounds, helps people through the death and dying process. And I also have wonderments. So the whole spectrum from death and dying, obstacles, pain, crossing over, to can we just enjoy ourselves? Like, can we have some fun while we're here? And it's both. We're having fun, we're enjoying ourselves and each other and finding love in the lap of death. And if I could remember who said that amazing phrase, making poetry and art in the lap of death, um, psychedelics point to that. At the bottom, I just have my little, this is my, um, this is my sense of history. I'm like a bad historian. I don't have any sense of like all of the Buddhist stages and, you know, great sages and teachers and what they said when, but this is my sense. There's been a lot of then, and now we're now. <laughs> and it's just beginning, and we can make it whatever we want. Really, whatever we want. We could just do it. Um, I didn't learn that through meditation. I learned it through psychedelics. We're here, always at the beginning, and we can give birth to whatever future we want. Um, I'd like to make a final pitch for the really great people in the psychedelic world who are doing service. Um, it's, it kind of looks like we're mostly having a really good time, and we are, but we have people going to places like Burning Man, Africa Burn. Um, I know people who are psychedelic enthusiasts who are volunteering in hospices, volunteering with homeless young people, um, meeting people at the edge and, and sitting with them, walking with them, helping them get through their really major life transitions and difficulties. Um, I feel like the psychedelic experience helps people learn how to sit with people in chaos and craziness. Uh, so that's kind of my pitch also to the meditators in the audience. Uh, where are you best needed? Where, are you, where can you be of most service? And that's a whole enlightenment approach on its own. You don't need to sit on a cushion. You can just put yourself out in the world and go where most people would feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're comfortable where no one else wants to be. And there are people right now in hospital rooms, alone, scared, in pain, no family to visit them. So you can be with those people. What a radical idea. Okay, so Nepal. This woman is named Nima. She lives with her mother in a small village called Samagaon. It's at about 13,000 feet. And toward the end of the trip that I was on, there had been torrential rains, there was snow in the pass, and we had to turn around. Um, this was a major low point for me, not just because I wanted to climb the mountain, uh, but it was a spiritual pilgrimage for me 
we were doing medical service, and it felt like we were kind of being turned around at the last step. It was a really depressing day. I was physically incredibly sick. Um, most of us had no more energy left. We were really tired. And we made this little ritual with the local people where we put objects that mattered to us into a kind of hat. And then the objects were matched up, and that person became our friend for life. So my friend for life was Nima. And I thought I was never going to see her again. But two weeks later, I decided to go back up the mountain. And I showed up at her doorstep. And that moment of meeting again, I would give anything else in the world to be back in her little hut with her mom. And my friend Prem was translating that. She said, this feeling of us being together again, there are no words. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with Buddhism. It pretty much has nothing to do with psychedelics, but it has everything to do with love and connection. And these kind of faces, you don't see these faces a lot at, in public you know, speaking domains, in front of podiums. Um, but what I've learned about enlightenment from this woman, just that simple connection, uh, if we could just figure out how to do that better, I don't care how we do it. We just have to do it. Um, there's a real imperative. Can we learn to be with each other and love each other and accept each other without any of the conceptual stuff? So I wanted to thank Nima and um, thank all of you and the people I traveled with in, in Nepal. This is the Nomads Clinic. These are the under 35 people. I couldn't find the picture that was the whole group, but um, yeah. Look at these, look at these faces. Pretty amazing, huh? All right, that's it, thanks. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.